Welcome to the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, a primitive Baptist ministry declaring the good news of the finished work of salvation by grace alone. This weekly radio program is brought to you by Elder Joe Nettles, pastor of Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church in Caledonia, Mississippi, and Elder David Wise, pastor of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We now invite you to stay tuned for our message this morning. Welcome, listening friends, to the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast. We thank you for joining us today. And I am Joe Nettles. I'm the pastor of Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church at 40283 Wolf Road in Caledonia, Mississippi. We meet 1030 a.m. every Sunday morning. And you will find a most welcoming and loving group of humble saints. You'll also find like manner of people, so loving, so welcoming, so hospitable, and so well taught by their dear pastor, Elder David Wise, over at Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, located at 11 Staten Road near Ackerman, Mississippi, in between Matheston and Ackerman on Highway 15. Very easy to find. Again, both of our churches meet at 10.30 a.m. every Sunday morning. We would welcome you there. But if it's more convenient, we also meet every Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. for an abbreviated service and learning and fellowship at the La Quinta Inn Conference Room in Starkville, Mississippi, just off of the Mississippi State University campus. Very easy to find, and we would love to have you at the La Quinta Inn, 6 p.m. every Wednesday evening. Please visit the website that services our broadcast, gospel-of-grace.com. And we also encourage you to download as an internet radio station, Grace Alone Radio. That's an app that can be downloaded free for an Apple or an Android device. 24 hours a day, seven days a week of Primitive Baptist content, of acapella singing, of preaching, of devotions, of scripture reading. We encourage you to avail yourself of that most blessed resource. We want to carry on today with the second installment centered around Genesis chapter 22 and the command of God to sacrifice Isaac on Mount Moriah, but continuing on the vein, the thought of the sovereignty of God. For if we don't understand the sovereignty of God, then we will have inevitably many questions and doubts about the verity of this passage. So we want to continue in this message along that line regarding the sovereignty of God. And not only will it do you great good in understanding Genesis chapter 22, you really need that to understand the entirety of the word of God. So right after this hymn, we'll be back with the second installment of this message.
Thank you so much for staying tuned with us here at the Gospel Grace Radio Broadcast. I would like to give a second installment regarding the sovereignty of God. Now, what led me into this subject are the inevitable questions that arise in the minds of people when we deal with Genesis chapter 22, which is what I would eventually like to cover is the account of Abraham being commanded to sacrifice his son Isaac uh, on Mount Moriah. And we'll begin reading again, just for context's sake, Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Uh, as I tried to teach you in the last uh, installment on this series, uh, you must understand this passage of Scripture. Really, you must understand all of the Word of God according to the interpretive, interpretive framework of an understanding of the sovereignty of God, that what God determines is right is right, and what God has determined is wrong is wrong. And he's not moved, and he's not swayed in his purposes or his ways outside of what he has determined to do. So, we, last time we tried to point out to you how he has all power and he answers to none. We went to Romans chapter nine. He said, it's not of him that willeth nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy, that he is a God who created all, uh, that he doesn't answer to anyone. There's nothing too hard for God. He's God of all power. And again, that God is under no obligation to any of man's needs, demands, purposes, or his illusions of entitlement. That's not who God is. God is sovereign. So now let's look at another aspect of the sovereignty of God. Let's look and see how that God is the possessor of all and how that he needs nothing. I mean, if you're going to be sovereign, not only do you have all power, but you also need to be self-sufficient. Uh, well, we certainly can see no greater example of that than the name of Yahweh, which essentially to the Hebrews means the eternal self-existent one. If God is self-existent, he is certainly self-preserving, so to speak. He does not require anything from mankind. If you'll notice what was said of the God of glory in Genesis chapter 14, twice in that exchange where uh, Abram has gone and freed Lot from those uh, confederation of kings of the plains, and he's gone through and of the power of God has freed Lot. And there uh, he met uh, Melchizedek, uh, the king of Salem, king of righteousness, and it was said twice that he was the most high God possessor of heaven and earth. So speaking of God, he said he's the most high God possessor of heaven and earth. This means there's absolutely nothing in heaven nor in earth that is not in his hand, in his possession, and under his superintention. That is God. Job was made to say in Job chapter 12, verses 9 through 10, who knoweth not in all these that the hand of the Lord hath wrought this? That means created it, formed it, caused it to be, and preserved it. That the hand of the Lord hath wrought this. In whose hand, notice this, is the soul of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. So every breath you take, uh, every move you make at the risk of sounding like a police uh, song from the 80s, uh, God's not only watching you, but God possesses that. It belongs to him. It is under no one else's uh, ultimate dominion but God's. So therefore, it is right for him to do what he will with his own. That's 
the sovereignty of God. You know, in Psalms 50 verse 12, it was declared, the psalmist declared, if I were hungry, speaking from the from the aspect of God, he was here speaking as God of the inspiration of the Spirit of God. He said, if I were hungry, I would not tell thee. Tell who? Tell any of mankind. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee. For the world is mine and the fullness thereof. You see, it's very important for us to realize this, my friends, that uh, human life is not right for us to destroy lawlessly. It's not right for us to shed the innocent blood. It's not right to abort babies. It's not right to murder. Why? Because we have been created after the image of Almighty God, and we've been commanded that that is wrong for us to do. But friends, God has the right to give life, and he has the right to take life. As Job was made to cry in days of old, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed is the name of the Lord. So as Isaac, if his life was actually taken on Mount Moriah's mountaintop that day, would God have been wrong in allowing that to happen? I'll tell you, nay, he would not because he gave that life to Isaac and he can be reach the disposition of Isaac's life in whatever way God sees fit. Was it wrong for God to take the lives of Ananias and Sapphira as they lied against the Holy Ghost in the early part of Acts? Certainly not. God was sovereign in doing that. He was right in doing that. Would God have been right to have snuffed out Simon Peter as soon as Simon Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration looked up and said, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Let us therefore build three tabernacles, one to thee and one to Moses and one to Elias. I mean, what a, what a dreadful thing to say after seeing the Lord high and holy and lifted up to want to try to venerate Moses and Elijah. You know, God would have been perfectly right if he had snuffed out Peter's life there. Certainly God would have been in all of his rights to have snuffed out the life of Simon Peter when he thrice denied the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Why did God not do that? Why did God show mercy unto him above and beyond what he would some other people in this life? You know what? It's not for us to know. It's not for us to try to figure out other than to say, Father, thy will be done because he's sovereign. And if we could understand everything about God, if we could put God in our little box of understanding, then he wouldn't be God, you see. So we need to understand what God has said about himself and come to those conclusions. Notice, please, the strength of the language regarding uh, the self-sufficiency of God, how he does not require of man anything to make him more God, more holy, more perfect, more glorious. Notice in Job chapter 35, the preaching of Elihu. Verse five, look under the heavens and see. Look, Job. Look, Bildad, Zophar, and Eliphaz. Look. Verse five, look under the heavens and see, and behold the clouds which are higher than thou. If thou sinnest, what doest thou against him? Or if thy transgressions be multiplied, what doest thou unto him? Do you think the people building the tower and the Tower of Babel in the days of old, blatantly denying the clear commands of the Lord for them to go forth and to replenish the earth and to spread forth upon the face of the earth, do you think them sinning in that dastardly way did anything against God? Absolutely not. God confused their language and, and they broke those dogs from sucking eggs. Yeah, those people 
who poured out wrath upon the body of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that day. Do you think they did anything to frustrate the purposes of God? Absolutely not. Uh, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, they with wicked hands did crucify and slain. God knew exactly what was going on in that situation, and he allowed it to unfold just in the way that it needed to for him to be able to redeem his people. Again, God didn't make those people evil, but he knew exactly how evil they would behave that day against the Lamb of God. So no matter if you were to take an amalgamation of all the sins of all of mankind throughout all of the ages and you put it in one bullet, you could in no wise shoot it at God because you can't harm him. Notice what it says in verse seven. If thou be righteous. Uh-oh, here we go. Somebody will say, yeah, none of that evil can help, can hinder God. God doeth according to his will, both in the inhabitants of earth and the armies of heaven, none stay in his hand. Amen. I mean, but, but we need to help him so, to do his righteousness, to do his will. I mean, we, we've got to help him to inhabit heaven, that which he's determined to do, that which Jesus said he would not lose any. We've got to go out and help him. If we don't help him, then, oh, he'll be in a pickle. I'll say balderdash to that. Notice verse seven, if thou be righteous, what givest thou him? No matter at the very epitome of your righteousness, if you had any righteousness of your own, and according to the word of God, your righteousness, your innate sense of righteousness is as filthy rags. If you have any righteousness within you, it's because the Lord has instilled it within you by his Holy Spirit. So if thou be righteous, what givest thou him? You're only living in a way which God has given you in which to live. You're not helping God. And he goes on to say, or what receiveth he of thine hand? People are going around all the way around the world today saying that, you know, God needs you to make up his family. God has given you this choice. And if you'll make the right choice, and if you'll say these words, or if you'll pray this prayer, or you'll accept the Lord into your heart, and then finally God can bring you home to heaven. But my friends, ages ago, in the very first book that was ever written down of the canon of scripture, even Job, I mean, even Elihu of old knew that if thou be righteous, what givest thou him? Or what receiveth he of thine hand? You see, what God will have in heaven one day is because God has purposed it to be and God of his own volition and his own power and his own sovereignty has applied that redemptive work and will carry them all home to heaven. That's why Jesus could say, I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the father's will which has sent me that of all he hath given me, I should lose nothing, none, but raise it up again at the last day. I'll tell you, that's the sovereignty of God. He goes on in verse eight, says, thy wickedness may hurt a man as thou art. Again, if you rebel against God, <laughs> you're not hurting God. Now, if you could rebel to the point where God is not going to have one of the children whom he desires in heaven, then it seems to me that you have hurt God. You have done something against God, but that's impossible, right? According to this, we know it's impossible. Why? Because he's sovereign and thy righteousness may profit the son of man. Somebody may say, if you do righteously, then God gets one more jewel in heaven, one more in his family. Friends, again, thy righteousness may profit the son of man. I want to live righteously. I want to preach the gospel. I want to share Jesus Christ with men on this earth, not to inhabit heaven, that which God has purposed that would be before the world began and cannot come to fail, 
But I want to share these things with them so that they might know the sovereignty of this God, know that he has paid for the sin of an elect. And if these people believe the words coming out of my mouth and they see themselves to be a sinner and they believe in Jesus as the Savior, then it's an evidence to them that that's the fruit of the Spirit in them and that they belong to the Lord and they should confess him and be baptized into his church and follow him in discipleship. You see, those things I do, I do for the good of the Son of Men. I'm not helping God. I'm fellow worker with God because he's told me what to do and without him being with me, I couldn't do it. But am I contributing to the glory of the satisfaction and the purpose of God? Absolutely not, my friends. That just won't do. Okay? God possesses all and he's in need of nothing from us. You know, also we see that he is unfailing in his purpose. That's another aspect of the sovereignty of God we need to understand. He is unfailing in his purposes. In Psalms 115, verses 2 through 3, we read, Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is now their God? Well, the heathens will erect a pole or a statue, or they'll see a cobra crawling along the ground, or a cow walking through the street, and they'll say, well, there is our God. Show us your God. Well, I got, I got news for you. If that's your God, it can be melted down, it can be burned, and a cobra can be popped on the head, and it'll be dead as a doornail, okay? The heathens say, where is now their God? I can tell you our God supersedes everything we can know, touch, feel, or sense in this life outside of the spiritual sense that he gives us. He goes on to say, our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. I got a question for you. Would it please God for all of mankind to be in heaven? And you may say, well, well, okay. That's what's always been my assumption, yes. Well, if that were so, then all of them will be in heaven. Why? Because he hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. But you see, as many as will be in heaven, that's as many as should be in heaven because of the sovereignty and the mercy of God. In John chapter 17, he prayed unto his father and told him uh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. When were though saved, the elect given into Jesus Christ before the world began. We could prove that in multiple places of scripture. So therefore, my friends, if all mankind would please the Lord for them to be in heaven, then they will all be in heaven. But you see, my friends, universalism won't do. It won't do. There is a place called perdition, an eternal lake of fire, and it will be inhabited with those who are left in their unrighteousness that they gain through the fall of Adam and their own wicked devices. Okay, look in Daniel chapter 4, verse 35. After Nebuchadnezzar, as he crawled through the field as a beast, uh, nails like eagle's claws and, and hair grown out like feathers and the dew rested upon them. After he came back to his senses, he was made to cry out in Daniel 4.35, and all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. I'll tell you what, if God wanted me in heaven and I prevented God from having me in heaven, that would give me some repute. Oh, he may cast me in hell, but at least it would be eternally attested to that what God wanted, I overcame and I did it my way. No, that will not do. Will not do. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing and he doeth according to his will. Where? Where does his will extend to? 
He says, in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. I don't know of any other place where it doesn't extend. I mean, that's all in heaven and all in the earth or universe, the created being as we know it. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? Friends, you'd have to have help to misunderstand the strength of the sovereignty of God in that uh prophecy that came with the mouth of a heathen king in days of old. God is so powerful. Yet someone may still retort, well, Brother Joe, I still think that you can resist the Lord and not go to heaven. If he's, oh, I'm, I'm going to tell you, you can resist the Lord while you're here in this earth. Jonah did, okay? And Jonah learned some hard lessons, all right? Uh, a lot of people have resisted the righteousness and the holy precepts of the Lord. Certainly, we can resist the law of God. We can break the law of God, and we have broken the law of God. You see, we can do that while we're here upon this earth, but we're not talking about temporal things. We're talking about eternal life, that which supersedes this realm in which we live. God applies that to us while we live here in time. But you see, my friends, we don't do anything to acquire it, and we can't do anything to rebuff it. God is sovereign in that work of eternal salvation. So while I'm living here, I want to follow his word. I want to seek him so that I might have a closer walk with him, so that I might obtain many deliverances slash salvations that I have uh, provided for me here in this life. You see, I could go contrary to the word of God and how I deal with my family. I could decide to do my own thing and get salty and cuss somebody out uh, on the street one day and do contrary to the word of God. It would not cost me my eternal home and glory because that is in the pres preservation of the blood of Jesus Christ. But it would dearly cost me some of his closeness and fellowship, him hearing my prayers, him condescending unto help me in times of need. See, all those things can be removed and those are things I don't want removed. But see, friends, there's something that can never be removed, and that is eternal life. Because eternal life, if it could ever end, it was never eternal to begin with, okay? We go to Psalms 33. Notice this, the strength of this statement. Verse 8, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. The Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. Notice that. Somebody may say, I, you know, but what if I resisted? What, what if, what if, you know, well, Saul of Tarsus wouldn't have had Jesus Christ on a stick, okay? In other words, he was worshiping uh, a fake God. He was not worshiping the true God of glory. The true God of glory had lived before them and had been crucified and risen from the tomb. He was uh, worshiping a false god, a god of his notion, a god of, of Judaism, not a god of, of glory, you see. He would have he seen that in Jesus Christ, but yet he was resisting Jesus Christ from every hand. But I'm going to tell you what, that heathen, his counsel was brought to naught because on the road to Damascus, the Lord visited him, kicked down the door of his heart, and seized him. You see, that's the way that works. The Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. Somebody may say, nay, 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 nay. I will not have the Lord. I will not have him. I will not have him. Well, that's the same way that malefactor hung upon the tree of the cross. But before that day, his heart had been seized by the Lord. Why? There wasn't a Sunday school teacher. There wasn't a well-meaning mama. 
and Jesus hadn't been preaching to him. But I'm going to tell you what, the sovereignty of God came in the person of the Holy Spirit and seized his heart and quickened him and changed his nature on that tree of the cross. Notice he also says, he maketh the devices of the people of none effect. You see, there's never been a bullet that can be fired at him. There's never been anything to tear out his framework. There's never been anything to frustrate him. I think it's in Isaiah chapter 42, verse four. And if I'm not so, I apologize. But speaking of Jesus Christ, it said, he shall not fail nor be discouraged till he hath set judgment in the earth and the isles shall wait for his law. Not only can he not fail, certainly he cannot even be discouraged. So friends, we're, we're dealing with a happy, content, self-satisfied God who is unfailing in his purpose and possesses all that there is and he needs nothing from us. But I guarantee you he has commanded some things of us and his children who've been born again, the spirit of God and known to fear and to love God now have responsibility to do those things, not to keep eternal life, but to keep the assurance and the comfort and the boldness and the blessings while we live here of the eternal life God has provided for us. Oh, friends, believe in the sovereignty of God. And what's the conclusion of this? If you go to Matthew chapter 20, verse 15a, the question was asked of the Lord Jesus Christ, is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? So therefore, before you point a bony finger at God saying it wouldn't be right for you to allow Abraham to plunge that knife into Isaac, it was wrong of you to command him to do that. You better retract that bony finger and realize that it is lawful for God to do what he will with his own. Why? Because he's God and he's sovereign. Until we're able to speak with you again regarding such noble and wonderful august subjects, may the grace of the Lord work in you and reveal these things unto you. God bless. If you enjoy the messages you hear on the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, we invite you to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. To find a Primitive Baptist Church near you, to listen to past messages online, and to find further contact information, you can visit our website at gospel-of-grace.com. You can also find our program on iTunes under podcast entitled The Gospel of Grace, a Primitive Radio Broadcast. If you listen and enjoy our program, we would love to hear from you. You may contact us by email at gospelofgracepb at gmail.com. This program is produced by Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church, 40283 Wolf Road, Caledonia, Mississippi, and Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, 11 Staten Road, on Highway 15, just north of Ackerman, Mississippi. We would love for you to come and worship with us each Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We invite you to tune in again next week for another message from the Gospel of Grace. 
Until next time, we pray God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus our Lord. Wonderful the matchless grace of